All right, well, good morning, Pillar Church. All right, thank you to the two people that said good morning. Good morning, Pillar Church. There we go, there we go. Funny, as a teacher, I would do that all the time with my students, and it's like the same thing. You would get like two people say good morning, and then it's like, all right, thanks for the one, one person that said it, and then eventually you get everyone. So um, my name is Marta Gaston, one of the uh, pastors here at Pillar Church, and um, so I'll be bringing the word today. And normally we do... Um, you know, Canaan is up here and he preaches from one book of the Bible. We've been doing Galatians uh, for a couple of months now. Um, and Pastor Eric preached, you know, so we broke off of that a little bit. And I'll be doing the same today. So uh, today will be a topical sermon. Um, but before we do that, let me pray um, as we get going. Father, thank you for uh, just this time and that we get to be here and hear your word. Um, we thank you that everything we need is found in your word, God, and it is not of us or in us. Um, I don't have the ability to teach your people, God. It's only you. Um, and so just use me in this moment, Lord. Let your words be what the people hear. Uh, let your spirit do the work to convict hearts, to change minds, to draw people to you, um, and to let us know that you are near, God. Let us feel your presence and hear your words speaking to us this morning. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Yeah. All right. Okay, so before we start, I ask everyone to do something for me, all right? So close your eyes. Don't worry, we're not going to do anything weird or crazy. I'm not going to walk by and touch anybody. So <laughs> just close your eyes, okay? And here's what I want you to think about. Think about and imagine the, the best thing that's ever happened to you, right? It could be a moment, maybe it was a gift, maybe it was a birthday, maybe it was a party, I don't know, whatever it may be for you, right? Just think of the most amazing thing that's ever happened to you. Okay, you've got it? Okay, so keep your eyes closed again. And now I want you to think of the opposite, okay? What is the most difficult thing that's ever happened to you? Okay, or the hardest situation that you've had to deal with? You know, for some of you, you may be thinking about a death, a crime, an injustice, abuse, divorce, gossip, a bullying situation. Right? This is hard. Like, this part... You know, it's not easy, and I'm, I'm, you know, I may be triggering some things for you, and, but it, it deals with what we're going to talk about today in the sermon. So I just want you to think about whatever that moment or moments may be. Okay? So you can open your eyes now. Okay, so did you think of something? All right, so the first one is probably easy, right? It's easy to think of, like, just fun and amazing things, right, that happen to us. Um, you know, for me, like I thought about like just my kids and each of them being born and just how amazing that was. Um, but the second one, much harder, right? For all of us in here, especially I know there are some people right now going through some really difficult things, right? Family members in the hospital, um, sickness, illness. So just lots of things that are difficult. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit today in our sermon. Um, and for some of you, it may be something you're struggling with currently. All right. For me, the thing that I thought about, the second thing, um, 
and you know, we'll be giving, I'll be giving you lots of just examples and things in the sermon today. Um, but I thought about two things. I thought about like when my grandparents died, and then I thought about uh, when my brother went to prison. You know, so those were some of the, the most difficult moments immediately that I thought about. Now, a natural reaction for us as humans is what? When difficult things happen, what do we ask? Starts with the W. Why? All right, we all, I mean, that's every single human being. It's like, God, why? Why did this happen? Okay? So for every single human being, this is the question that we ask. God, why? Why did this happen? Or why me? Okay? So again, today I do not claim to have the answers. Okay? I'm not going to answer why whatever that thing you thought about happened to you. Okay? That's not the point of the sermon. And none of us, other than God, that's why you've got to ask God that question, um, he's the only one that can give you that answer. Okay? But I do want to look at a passage in Scripture that can maybe help us as we go through difficult seasons or moments or times of suffering or pain, either in the present, in the past, or maybe even potentially the future. Okay? Because if there's one thing that we all can agree on is we are going to have difficult moments in this life. So open up to, oh, and we're going to be flipping through the Bible in different passages, um, but the main one is going to be Romans 8.28. So if you open your Bibles, okay, or turn on your phones, to Romans 8, verse 28. And that's the passage that we're going to look at today. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen, so you can look at the passage here. And I'll read it for us today. All right, so here's what it says from God's word, Romans 8, verse 28. It says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Okay, I'm going to read that one more time. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So the title for our sermon today is this. Is it really all good? Okay, because we just read a passage that talked about how God works all things together for good. Okay. And so these are the sections that we're going to talk about in the sermon. Like, just give you the outline. Okay, so we're going to talk about what the passage doesn't say, okay? Because there can be some misconceptions from the sermon. So we're going to talk about what it doesn't say. We're, we're going to look at what the passage actually means. I'm going to give you some personal examples. We're going to look at some biblical examples. And then we're going to talk about God's nature, okay? Who God is and just why he does some of the things that he does. Okay, so Romans 8, 28, I'm going to read it one more time, and then we'll talk about what this passage does not say. Okay, because a lot of people can read this and have some misconceptions. We definitely don't want that today. Okay, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All right, so first thing, here's what it doesn't say, okay? The passage does not say this, that all things are good. Right? We did not read that. The passage does not say that all things are good. Right? We all know this firsthand. 
We live in this world. There are tragedies that happen. There are evil um, things that, that happen, right? Wars, disease, suffering, pain, illness. Um, we all can attest to either personally or seeing things that have happened in our families or friends that we know. Bad things happen in this world. So the passage is not saying that all things are good. Okay? The second thing it doesn't say is this. God makes only good things happen for his people. Right? It says that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that God makes only good things happen for his people. Okay? Now, there are some people who teach this, right? There are people who preach like, you know, uh, if you come to Jesus, everything is going to be great. You know, come to Jesus and he's going to fix all your problems. You know, come to Jesus like Jesus is the answer. If you've got all these problems, you know, come to Jesus and everything gets taken care of. Okay? Maybe either explicitly some people say that or implicitly they are implying that, but that's not true. The Bible does not preach that. You know, when you come to Jesus, your life is, is going to all of a sudden get better. Right. right? We don't see that in Scripture. And in fact, a lot of times, your life may get harder once you become a Christian. Right. Okay? If you look right before, um, oh, the Apostle Paul, right? I don't know if you guys know his story from the Bible. So his name used to be Saul. He was Saul, and he was... Um, one of the Jewish leaders, and he was persecuting the Christians. And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 16, it gives you his story, how he comes to faith. Right, right before that, in chapter 7, he was one of the people that was there when they were persecuting, when they were stoning um, Stephen, who was one of the disciples. So Stephen just got killed. They stoned him, and Paul was there. Well, his name used to be Saul. At the time he was Saul. He was there approving of that. He was one of the people who was there when um, Stephen was getting stoned. But then we go to chapter 9, and this is where he gets saved. Okay? And what happens is this. I'm going to read it for you real quick. Acts chapter 9. You can turn there with me. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to give you a couple of things that it says from here to show you that all things, it's not only good things for believers, right? So Acts chapter 9, so it says, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest. He was requesting letters. Okay, verse 3. As he was traveling near Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and Jesus is like, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul is like, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm the one you are persecuting. Okay, and then we go down to, uh, where is it? Uh, okay, verse 13, Ananias, he's, Jesus is the one who had called him to go pray for Saul. And he's like, Lord, you know, I've heard about this man. He was harming your people. Okay, he has authority to call the priest, to arrest your people, everybody who calls on your name. Verse 15, here's what Jesus says. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name, right? So Jesus is calling Saul to become a Christian, and he doesn't say, hey, you know, your, your life is going to be amazing, it's going to be great. He says, listen, I'm going to show this guy how much he must suffer for my name. So immediately, at the very beginning of, of Saul's conversion, 
He's not given something positive like, yes, coming to Jesus is going to be amazing. He's so like, hey, you're going to suffer for Jesus' name. Okay? And then Paul himself, he says this to believers in 2 Timothy 3, verse 11 through 12. He says this, but you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecution I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. And then verse 12, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? It doesn't say might, doesn't say maybe, it doesn't say, well, just a few people. It says, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Have you ever seen that verse on like a Christian bumper sticker on somebody's car? You know, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? Is that a verse you see like on the verse of the day, you know, people posting that on Instagram? Have you guys seen that? I haven't, okay? Never seen that. You go into the Christian bookstores or the websites and like, you know, look for this verse to try to buy that, okay? Not a verse you will typically see, right? But yet, this is what the Bible tells us. Turn it off. Turn it off. Sorry. No, it's okay. We can barely. All right. Is this better? Oh, that, that sounds way better. I can hear myself now. All right. Okay. I can take this off, too. Okay, cool. All right. I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm kidding. I'm not going to. We'd be here all day. Okay, so, yeah, so this is not a verse that we commonly or ever see posted or talked about, but yet this is a promise that we get from the Bible, right? If you want to live a godly life, there's going to be persecution. And again, this doesn't mean like death or threats, right? Because we live in America, so there's someone coming for your life right now. That's the reality in many countries around the world. Um, but here there's other things that can happen, right? Ridicule and, and things like that. But again, what it's saying is that if you're living a life that's godly, it's going to be counter to this world, and thus there's going to be some persecution, right? Jesus himself said that. He said that his followers, he said, you're not going to be above the master. If they persecuted me, if they hated me, then you can expect the same for you as his followers, okay? So that's the first thing, or second thing. So it doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say that God only makes good things happen for his people, okay? So here's what the passage does say, right? We're going to go through and look at some of the words and go through each of them to see what the passage actually says, okay? So flip back to Romans 8, verse 28 in your Bibles, if you had turned. And let's look at what is it actually telling us. Let's look at the meaning of this passage. Right, so we'll start with all things, okay? It says all things. So what does that mean? I think that's very simple. You don't have to go to the Greek translation or anything like that, right? You don't need to know Hebrew or anything, right? All things means what? All things, right? It means the good things that happen in your life. It means the bad things that happen in your life, the sufferings, the ups, the downs, all the hurts that you've endured, all the tears that you've cried, the things that you don't understand, like why did this happen? 
What was the purpose of this? Okay? The Bible says that all things, every single moment in your life, God has been orchestrating all of that for your good. Okay? The good, the bad, the crazy, the mundane, the daily frustrating things, right? Kids crying in the middle of service, okay? God is going to use all of that for good. Okay, so all things, that's the first thing, right? Work, okay? All things work. This is showing us that God is active in our lives, right? God is not, he didn't just create the world and then just boom, he stepped away and let things run its course, okay? That's not the God that we serve. Our God is active in each and every one of our lives, okay? He's not passive. He's not sitting on the side, um, you know, chilling. God is actively working in your life, in my life, right? That is the God that we serve. Together, nothing in your life is an accident or an isolated incident, right? We may not have the vantage point to know how something that happened two years ago is going to impact, you know, our future. Or something that happened yesterday and what that's going to look like, um, you know, 10 years from now. Right? But that's the thing. God does know every single thing is not isolated. He's been weaving all the events of your life together. And we'll look at some examples in the Bible, but also in personal examples of how God has done that. So everything, he's working them together for our good. And then that last part, for, well, not the last part, but for good. Now, this is referencing our ultimate good not a temporary good. And here's a quote that, um, there's two quotes that I wanted to read. One is from the ESV Study Bible, and it says this. The good in this context does not refer to earthly comfort, but conformity to Christ. Closer fellowship with God, bearing good fruit for the kingdom, and final glorification. And then here's another quote from the CSB Study Bible. It says this. The promise of this verse is that God orders everything for believers so that all of life's experiences work together for our ultimate good. Not everything is good in and of itself, but God uses everything for our good. So again, not everything is good in and of itself, but God will use everything ultimately for our good. So here's the thing, when we talk about good, what are we referring to? Like, what does this good mean? How does God work things for our good? Like, what is good? So too often when we think about this word good, you know, I know for myself, I think we think too often about material things or possessions, right? God is going to bless us. Every time we hear the word blessing, too often our minds go to money or possessions or things, right? Things that you can touch, tangible things. But the majority of the time, whenever the Bible is talking about good things or blessings, it's referring to spiritual things. And that's what those two quotes above were telling us. Do you know that God's ultimate good for you is not for you to have more money? Right? It's not for you to even be quote unquote happy. Right? It's not for you to have a spouse or have a million friends or have a huge house um, or have this amazing, you know, these amazing possessions and things. You know what God's ultimate good is for you? It's your salvation, and for you to look more and more like his son. God's purpose is for us to grow closer to Jesus, to know him more, and for our relationship with him to get stronger and stronger each day until we get to that final glorification. And that's why if you look at 
the verses that go right after Romans 8.28. This gives us a glimpse of that because it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, as verse 28. And 29 says this, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son. God wants to change us into the image of Jesus so we can love like him, so we can serve like him, we can care like him, right? That's why Jesus had the disciples with him. They were following him and seeing how he was doing things, what he was doing when he washed their feet. They were like, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? And he was like, no, no, listen, this is what you need to do. Yes, I'm your Lord, but I'm here to serve you, right? That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what the Bible talks about when it says the good. The good is not referring to you know, material things. So don't think of that whenever you're thinking about you know, what's the good thing. That's why too often we get tripped up when bad things happen or you know, we lose money or you know, a job failure happens or different things like that. We get, you know, too often our minds think about success and blessings like the world does, right? The world imagines money, power, fame, possessions, right? That's the status. That's good for the world. But that's not good for Christian, right? Because you know what the Bible says? Um, I think it's the second Peter. It says, for all these things are thus to be dissolved. They're going to be burned up. All the possessions, all the houses, all the material things. One day, God is going to destroy this earth. These things are going to be gone. So if we're, we're putting our focus and energy on those things, that's not the ultimate good that God has for us. Okay? Here's a couple of verses I wanted to share with you. Okay, Romans 5, you don't have to turn your Bibles, just listen. Romans 5, verse 3 through 5 says this. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions or sufferings. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this is one of the purposes God has for when we suffer, when things go bad. The ultimate good is for us to endure, right? It says our afflictions will lead to, will produce endurance. Endurance will produce character. Character produces hope. All these things are like chiseling us closer and closer to Jesus. I don't know about you, but the times when I felt the closest to God and, you know, the times when I've prayed the most is when I was needing God the most, right? In moments where there was sickness, moments where I was dead broke, moments when I was struggling, you know, those are the times when I was clinging as hard as I could to God. You know, but too often the opposite is true. When everything is going great, too often that's when we forget about God. You know, when we have everything we need, right? When you don't have to pray for your next meal, you know, sometimes you forget to thank God that you've got that meal, right? But when you are struggling and you need that next meal, you know, you're like, God, please, please, I need this. I need that. You know, but when your fridge is stocked with everything you need, right, we don't have to pray to ask God for your next meal because you just go to the fridge and you open it up and it's there. Okay? So at times, God has us endure these things for our good, and that good is for us to endure, for us to grow in patience. And here's another verse, James 1, verse 2 through 4. It says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, 
and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So this is a crazy verse because it's like, hey, it's a joy, guys, when you are suffering trials, right? Have any of us been like that? Like, yay, trials. Okay, no, not me. I don't know about you, but I've never done that, right? It wasn't like, yes, God, thank you so much for this trial. Obviously, definitely not in that moment. Maybe later on we can get to that point, okay? But what it's saying is that these trials, again, are meant to draw us and push us closer to Jesus. Okay? So that's the good. Again, don't think of good in the terms of material possessions. When the Bible references for our good, this is what it's referring to. For us to get closer to Jesus, to know him more, to have that patience and endurance of our faith. And then this next section in Romans 8.28, so go back to that, okay? God works all things for the good of those who love God. So this promise is specifically for believers. This is not for the world. This is not for everyone out there. This is for believers. This is a specific promise for you, for me, for those of us who love God. That's what the verse says, those who love God. So this is a provision only for those who know Jesus, who love Jesus. He's like, hey, I'm going to work these things out for your good because you love me, okay? So it's limited in, its, um, in who it's for. In the next section, who are called according to his purpose. I don't know if you guys know this, but God has a purpose for us. He has called us and saved us for his purposes. It doesn't say according to our purpose, right? It doesn't say according to Marduche's purpose or your purpose. Right? Because we all think like, man, we have these dreams and ideas of how our lives are going to go. Right? And the Bible says, you know, that man makes his plans in his heart, but God is the one who directs all his steps. God has the ultimate purpose for our lives. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the things he desires for us, what he wants for us, and how he's going to weave all the things that we've been through to accomplish his purposes. So that's what we have to remember as believers is that God has saved his people to reflect his glory. And that's ultimately his purpose. Everything that God does is for his glory. Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I am the one, I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. If there's a theme that we see throughout the Bible, if you read through the Psalms, the Old Testament, even Jesus when he was on this earth, God does things for his glory. Our ultimate purpose on this earth, we were created to glorify God. There's a catechism that, you know, the kids and I, um, that they've learned that we would recite. It's like, you know, what is man's purpose? And it's like for God's glory. He created us to give him glory. That is our ultimate purpose, right? And so that's why God uses everything that happens in our lives for us to give him glory, for us to praise him, for us to worship him. Now, we'll look at some examples later. But here's the thing. Know that there is a purpose in your pain. Again, I don't know what that is. And a lot of times in the moment, we won't know either. Right? All we know is we're in pain, we're suffering, this is difficult, this is hard, and we ask those why questions. And it may not be years later that we see, okay, now I understand why I went through this. You know, I can understand why God allowed me to go through this situation. 
we'll really never understand in the moment. And sometimes we won't understand until we get to the glory. But know that there is a reason, there is a purpose for your pain. Because here's the thing, a believer will never suffer alone. We'll look at that. Or for no reason. Right? There is nothing that you have suffered or gone through in your life that is for no reason. God does not waste any moment, any opportunity. Right? God does everything on purpose. So it doesn't mean we will know the purpose in that moment, but ultimately, God will work it out for our good. Now, here's the thing. If you are paying attention, right, you notice I skipped the first couple of, verse, the first couple of words in that passage. Because I started with all things, but I skipped the part that says, we know that. So if you go back to Romans 8, 28, the very first words say, we know that. Now, you would say, well, how do we, because it's assuming that believers know that God works all things together for those who love God. And you would say, well, how do we know that God works all things together? You know, how, how can it assume that I know this? And here's why. We know God. We have countless examples in the Bible, and we'll look at just a few of them, right? Because we could be here all day looking at all the examples of how God works things for good. But we know God's nature. And we'll look at a couple of things that describe God and who he is and why he does some of the things that he does. And why even bad things, even negative things, even suffering, God can use, has used, and will use them for our good. If you look at the verses, we had read verse 29, but I want to continue reading the next two verses that come right after verse 28. Okay, so Romans 8, 29 and 30 says this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. See, God has been working for your good even before you loved God. Even before you knew him, even before you were born, even before I was born, any of us were created, the Bible says that God had predestined us. This, so this is something that happened way before any of us were even there. Now, you might be thinking, well, but I thought you said that God works for the good of those who love him. So how could God be working for my good before I, before I loved him? Like, that doesn't make sense. You just said this promise was only for the people that love God. So before I was a Christian, before I loved him, how could God have been working for my good? Well, the answer to that is, remember, when we think about our lives, we think in terms of, you know, I was a, I'm a Christian now, and before I was a Christian, you know, we separate the moments in our lives. Remember, God is God. Time, he is outside of time. He's outside of space. So he doesn't look at you and look at you with like, you know, in 2005, you got saved, and then, you know, you were a Christian from that point on, and then pre-2005, you were not saved, you know, God doesn't see you in that moment. He sees your past, present, and future all at the same time. That's his nature. So this leads us into the next session because I wanted to put this in there just for us to understand God's nature. Because if we don't understand his nature, none of this will make sense. Because if we just think as humans on this verse, it's not going to make sense to us, right? Because as humans, we want to run away from pain, right? Our default is not to experience pain. 
Our default is to run away from things that would be difficult and hard, right? It's easier to go to McDonald's and, make, you know, and buy a sandwich than to go home and cook a meal, right? Can I get an amen on that? Okay. Amen. All right? It's easier to just go home and sit and watch TV than to get up and go exercise, right? I mean, most of us know that, right? It takes discipline. It takes um, commitment, right? The easy thing is just to sit, veg out on the couch, chill, right? It's hard to go work out. It's hard to go and exercise and do those things, all right? It's hard to put that salad in your mouth when, you know, you got that burger that's right there, right? So the easy things are what we gravitate to. That's just our nature as humans. That's every single one of us. That's you, that's me, right? None of us runs to the difficult things, right? Default is the easiest thing. But God doesn't work like that. And so here's a couple of things I want you to understand about God's nature, okay? I don't know if you guys have ever heard of um, the term, they're called the omnis, and there's three of them, okay? Omni means all. So there's three omnis that describe God in his nature. God is omnipresent, he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient, okay? And I'll explain each of those. So omni means all. So the first one is omnipresent, okay? Omni means all, present is, you know, or present. So God is everywhere. That's what the omnipresent means. He's everywhere, all at once, in all times, in all places. So God is here, you know, he sees us now, but then he's also in Africa. He's also in Haiti. He's also in Europe, okay? Wherever. He's also in 1963. He's also in 2055, okay? God is not limited to time, space, or location. He's God. He is outside of time. He created time. Right? We live in the present. We see our lives in terms of you know, now, the present, and the future. But God sees all of that at once. And that is why when I said earlier, you know, God has always been working for our good, even before we knew him. So before you were saved, you know, those events, God was leading them to the point where you got saved. He was orchestrating those events in your lives to bring you to a point where you would put your trust and faith in him. All those events. And that even after you get saved, he's working the different circumstances and situations that have happened in your life to draw you closer to him. And there are going to be things in your future that you're going to go through and endure that, again, he's working to work and weave all these things out for your good. Okay? So know that. God is everywhere at all times. Okay? He's omnipresent. Omnipotence. So omni, all. Potence refers to power. So God is all powerful, or God has all the power, okay? And what that means is he can control and direct all things. So everything we see in this world, we know he created the world, right? He just spoke it into existence, Genesis tells us. So that is God's omnipotence. And then the last one is omniscient, okay? Omni, all, shint, which refers to like science. So he has all knowledge. So God is all knowledgeable. He knows everything. And not just that, God has non-ending cognition. There's a, uh, this theologian uh, named Shai Lin, and he wrote this song where he's like, you know, Jesus knows even the actual and the possible, right? There were people who were thinking thoughts, and Jesus told them the thoughts they were thinking. They hadn't said anything yet. They didn't express it yet, but Jesus even knew the possibilities of what they were going to say, what they could say, and what was in their hearts. You know, I think a lot of people were shocked by that whenever Jesus would tell them something that they hadn't even said yet. Okay, and I know we have a mind reader in our church, okay, but Jesus goes beyond just reading your mind, he reads your heart, okay, 
And so that's God's omniscience. All right, Psalm 139 verse 4 says this, Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. So this is why God can work all things together for our good. It's because he knows our past, present, and future. He has all the power to orchestrate those things. He is everywhere, and he knows everything. So all those things together, right, because of God's nature, because of who he is, that is how he can tell us that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. So while I may not know your pain, your hurt, your suffering, here's the thing. I know our God. Okay? I know he's good. I know he cares for you. And I know he's going to work it out for your good. Because he's promised that. That is a promise that you can stand on that Romans 8.28 tells us. So here's a couple of examples I wanted to give you guys. Okay? The first one comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 50. You don't have to turn there. Actually, no, I do want you guys to turn there. So go to Genesis 50. And this is the last book in Genesis. And this story is about a man named Joseph. And you guys may know his story. There was like a play years ago, like Joseph in the Technicolor suit um, or Technicolor coat. Um, but jo we're not going to read his whole story, but this is the very end of this section with Joseph. So Joseph had these brothers, right? And what they did was they, he was his father's favorite son, and the brothers hated him for that. And so they plotted to kill him. They ended up not killing him. They threw him into a pit, and then they sold him away to slavery in Egypt. Okay, and he endured, you talk about suffering, he had tons of difficulty that happened throughout his time in Egypt, right? So again, imagine your brother sell you to slavery, okay? You're, you're now a slave, you're with your family, but then you get sold away to slavery. And so all these things happen, and even when he's sold into slavery, he gets accused of wrongdoing, and then he gets to prison, he gets thrown into prison for years, okay? And then eventually, God works things out to where now he becomes the ruler, he's one of the rulers in Egypt. And here's what Joseph says. Now his brothers come back to Egypt because there's a famine that's happened in the land. The brothers have all come back. So this is years, years, years later. Okay? They didn't recognize that it was Joseph initially. Okay? He reveals himself to them right before this. And here's what he says, verses 15 through 20. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. All right? And his brothers also came. They bowed down to him and said, hey, we're your slaves, right? We're sorry. We did all these things to you. You know, we slowed you into slavery. We're sorry. But here's what Joseph said, verse 19. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And here's verse 20. You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Man, can you imagine being Joseph? And again, this is not like, um, Joseph thinking at in and of himself. This was God who gave him this sort of wisdom to see that his suffering 
that he went through all those years when he was in the prison, when he was a slave, it was all leading to this moment here where God was bringing his brothers and all those family members to save them out of the, uh, the trouble that they were enduring. Because they didn't have food, there was the famine in the land, and so now his family gets saved as a result of Joseph now being the leader. Right? Joseph said, what you meant for evil, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result. So here's something, here's one thing I want you guys to recognize. Joseph said that they planned the evil. It wasn't that God did something evil, okay? God is never the one that orchestrates any evil that you endure in your life. Okay, that's, if there's one thing I wanna make sure we all understand. When we read Romans 8, 28, it's not saying that God causes the suffering or God causes the evil that happens in our lives. God is not the author of the bad things that happen in your life. Okay? What it says is that God will use those things to work them out for our good. Okay? God causes the good. He's not the one that causes the evil. And Joseph recognized that. Joseph said, hey, you guys are the ones who planned that evil. But God used it for good to save his people. So that's one example where something that was evil, God turned it around and used it for good. Another example is Lazarus. All right, you guys may know the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Okay, Lazarus is someone that Jesus loves. Um, he had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and the sisters are like, hey, Jesus, you know, the one whom you love is sick. Lazarus is sick. You know, please come, come, you know, because they know Jesus can heal. They've seen Jesus heal other people. They know he's healed the blind. He's healed other people. So like, hey, this guy you love, right? Because if you heal all these people, you really love Lazarus, so come on, come heal him. And you know what John 11 tells us? Verse 6 says, when Jesus heard that Lazarus is sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, and then, you know, you would think, oh man, all right, hey disciples, we got to go. Lazarus is sick, let's go. It says that Jesus stays two more days. And then you know what happens? Lazarus ends up dying. But here's the thing. And this is why, like I said, we have to know God's nature. As humans, that makes no sense whatsoever to us. It's like, if this guy is sick, why are you not rushing Jesus to go to him? But here's why. Jesus says this in verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, ultimate death, but it, it is for the glory of God. Remember I said that everything God does is for his glory? That's what Jesus just told us right here. Jesus says, listen, he's not going to ultimately stay dead. This happened so that God would be glorified. Okay, so then Jesus leaves with the disciples. They go over there to Lazarus, right, after those two days. And everyone's crying. They're sad. They're like, you know, and um, I forgot which sister was, Mary or Martha. They're like, Jesus, if you were here, you could have saved him. You know, you could have made him well. And Jesus says this to her in verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says to Jesus, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who came into the world. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. 
right? Jesus had done healings before. He had healed people of blindness. He had healed people who, you know, their feet were lame. They couldn't walk. But no one had ever been raised and brought back from the dead before, right? And no one could say, well, he wasn't really dead. He was just like sick and he fainted and he was just out for a couple hours. No, no, no. That's why Jesus waited those days, right? Lazarus was in the grave for a few days. He was dead, dead, right? There was no doubt that he was dead, okay? And, you know, and again, for us, it would be like, man, why did Jesus wait? But then when you see what he did, it was like to prove without a shadow of doubt. So no one could have any sort of excuse or try to reason you know, what happened, right? There was no excuse. This man was dead, and now Jesus brought him back alive. And we see that people begin to worship Jesus after this healing, after he raises him up. I heard this. Verse 39. Okay, Jesus says, remove the stone. And they said, Lord, there was already a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, verse 45, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did, believed in him. See, this is why when we go back and look, like why did Jesus wait two days? What was the point? How come he didn't just heal him and go, right? Jesus knew this was to show God's glory, his power, that God has power even over death, but then also he knew that there were people that were going to believe in him once they saw this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. So even something horrible like death, God used it for good. Now, I wanted to give you guys some personal examples, right? Because we looked at a couple of examples in the Bible of things that God has done. And you may say, well, I was, you know, I was back then. I was the, the, the old times. That's in the Bible. You know, that's not really relevant to today. Okay? Let me give you a couple of examples. Here's one just for my own personal life. Uh, my family and I, we were, you know, we, I was born in Haiti, but we grew up in New York. Both of my parents worked in the World Trade Center. All right, so you guys can assume where this story is going. Both of my parents worked in the World Trade Center. Um, but then in the year 2000, my dad, um, he got a position, he, well, he was, going to, he was uh, going to school in the seminary. So we were moving to Kentucky. And like, you know, as a kid, I was in eighth grade, and I was like, man, why are we moving from New York, going to Kentucky? Like, we're going to live on a farm. All my friends were joking on me. They're like, ah, oh, you're going to be on a farm. You're going to be like a, a farmer, and this and that. And they were cracking jokes, right? Because I'm going from New York, big city, to Louisville, Kentucky. Right? They're like, you're going to eat KFC all day, and this and that. And that's all I know about Kentucky was KFC. Um, and so I was like, man, Dad, you know, why are we going? Why are we going? Why are we going? Right? Super upset, just mad. Um, and I said, to, it wasn't the year 2000. Uh, it was uh, 1996 is when we moved, okay? So 96, we moved from New York, parents worked in the World Trade Center, to Kentucky. 2001, what happens in 2001? You guys know? 9-11, okay? 9-11 happens. And I remember immediately when that happens, I was like, I would have been an orphan right now. You know, both of my parents worked there. And like, that's the first thing my parents told me too. Like when I got home that day, I was in college. And I got home, and my parents were just both like just shocked, 
you know, because my mom, like, I think the year before we moved, she had just gotten a, uh, she had gotten a raise and gotten a high position and was in one of the floors there. And she was like, you know, she's looking at the screen and watching like, that could have been us, you know, that would have been us. You know, because my parents were like, they were always on time, they were never late, they, you know, mom never missed a day of work. So it wasn't like, oh, she was going to have missed work that day. She was like, I would have been there. You know, so I immediately was like, man, God, thank you. You know, this is five years later, right? I had no clue that this was going to happen. But again, something God did in use. And again, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, there's anything special about us. And, you know, because again, many people suffered on that day. But personally, when I think about that moment, that's what always crossed my mind. It's like, man, God used this move that at the time was terrible for me, you know, and hard for my parents for good. You know, we had no clue that something like that was going to happen. Another example that I'll give you is COVID, right? Very recent example. You know, COVID has been horrible. Like, I know friends who have lost parents. Um, you know, some of you in here may have lost loved ones. Um, it's been a difficult season, right? And I remember even when we were here, you know, we were worshiping at, in the school, but then the school were like, hey, and when everything shut down, we couldn't worship here anymore. We had to go virtual. Right? And, you know, there were some positives, right? You don't have to get dressed anymore. You just stay in your shorts. You're at home watching the YouTube, right? But it's not the same, right? This is different than being at home watching us on YouTube, right? So it was like, man, wow, you know, this is difficult. COVID, we can't worship anymore. We can't go to the school. Um, but then we were able to go out to the field um, near MLK. We were going out to the field, and we were able to worship out there, right? It was a little hot, right? Sun, thankfully, was still in the springtime, so it wasn't too hot. But again, it's not as comfortable as being inside in AC. But we're out in the field, and you know what happened? Two people who are currently in our church right now, they became members of Pillar as a result of us getting kicked out of here during COVID and going to the field. So Janetti, you know, I, I, uh, you guys may know her story. She's the, one of the first people who got baptized in our church. Okay, she lived across the street from the field where we were worshiping, all right? And she, she tells her, you know, she's told the story, like she had been praying for a church to belong to, right? She had just um, put her faith in Jesus, um, and she had been praying for a church. And what does God do? You know, and again, I don't know if, you know, I'm not saying that God caused COVID just for that reason. But again, you know, imagine if that was, you know, God had COVID happen just so we could be across the street from her so she could find us and join our church, get baptized, and now she's worshiping and serving, um, you know, and then also our sister Alicia, who does the sound in the back, right? She um, goes to Texas Wesleyan. She was driving around. She had gone to pick up something from school. And then she saw the sign, the flags that we had out there across from the school, heard the singing, and I was like, wait, is that a church? And so she turns, she comes back, and then now she's been a part of us, you know, since then. So again, two, yeah, deep clap for that. So again, COVID is terrible. I'm not saying it was something, you know, clearly wasn't something good, but like we talked about, God works all things. No, none of us would have ever imagined that, you know, these two ladies would have been a part of us. But again, God works all things. And when it says all, it means all. Even difficult, hard, suffering, terrible things, God can work them out for his good. Now, I don't want you to leave here discouraged and think, man, just this Christian life is just suffering, it's pain, it's difficulty. Yes, that is a part of it. 
But God also promises that he's going to be with us, right? Here's the thing. Look at Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. It's the verses that come after we read what we just read in uh, Romans 8, 28. It says this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Right? So when you think about your own suffering, when you think about your own pain, think about this. God didn't spare his son. Jesus suffered for you. Okay? So it's not like you're having to suffer and you're having to endure these things, but yet God did that for to his own son. His son endured suffering. Remember uh, Pastor Eric was talking about the hat. Jesus put on that hat. He suffered for you, for me. Right? God gave him up his own son for us. How will he also not with him grant us everything? Verse 33. Who can bring an accusation against God elect? God's elect. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, because of you we are being to put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So know this, when things go terribly wrong in life, know that God is present. His love is there, and he will ultimately use it for our good. That good is for us to be more and more like Jesus each day until the final day when we are like him forever in glory. So here's the thing. God used the unjust death of his innocent son to pay for our sins. He died so we could live. He suffered so we could be saved. He was cursed so we could be blessed. He was defeated temporarily so we could have permanent victory. See, your suffering, your pain, when we go through these things, it's not in vain. God says and he promises that he will use all these things for our good. So that thing you thought about at the beginning of the sermon, right? whatever you had in your mind as far as the thing that you thought about when I was like, you know, what's the hardest thing that's happened to you? You may not have an answer now, okay? And you may not get an answer for years. But just know that God has a purpose. He's weaving everything that we go through for our good. Okay? And ultimately, that good is going to be our final salvation, our final glorification, when one day we will be with him forever in heaven with no more pain, no more suffering. But until we get to that point on this earth, just know that that good is still going to occur for those who love God. He's going to use it to make us endure, to draw closer to him, to look more like his son, Jesus.
Um, and there's a song that they're gonna play that I just wanted you guys to hear. Um, it's a beautiful song by this artist, Fred Hammond, and it's called All Things Are Working. And so that'll be the conclusion of the sermon. It's just a song, and then I'll come back and pray. Father, thank you that you work all things out for our good. The good, the bad, the pain, the hurts. God, there's not a tear that we've shed that will be wasted. Lord, you're using it all for our good, which means for us to know you more, to have a deeper relationship, to strengthen our faith, even to draw us to you, God, if we didn't know you already. So I pray for the believers in here, God, because there are, I know there are people in here who are suffering and hurting, God, and, and going through things that are just difficult. Seeking answers, seeking why. So that I pray that this would encourage them that in some way, God, we don't know how, but you're working it for their good. And I pray for those in here who don't know you, who are wondering about their own sufferings, but yet they don't know this God who has made this promise of working things out for their good. And I pray that this moment would be the moment that they would turn to you, that they would see how everything has been leading to this moment where they would put their faith, they would put their trust in you, that they would see that you did not spare even your own son. He suffered and died for them. I pray that anyone in here who doesn't know you would put their faith in you, Jesus, would just repent and turn to you in this moment, Lord. God, I thank you for your word, and we praise you, God, because you are good and you are a faithful God. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.